What's up, babies? We're back. Big week. Big week this week. Uh, we got to talk about Kanye and FTX and Twitter and China. And uh, so I don't Where should we start? Should we start with Kanye? So much, so much to cover. Kanye West was on the Alex Jones show this week on InfoWars, and he was ranting about the Jews. He was talking about how he loves Hitler and how there, 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 there's lots of redeeming qualities about the Nazis. He was wearing the weirdest outfit ever. You got to go look at a picture of this. And there, there were other folks in there with them, too. There was this uh, the idiot Nick Fuentes, uh, and he was sort of ranting about the Jews. Uh, what a what an idea for a show! Should we just should we make a podcast like that where we just talk about the Jews? I mean, it, even when you say it like that, the Jews, like it's one uniform group of people. I mean, I, I'm Jewish, but maybe we should do it. Maybe we should do a show about the Jews. I'm going to a uh, to a, to a bat mitzvah tonight. And uh, you know what's going to be there? Lots of the Jews. Yeah, I, I, Kanye has clearly gone off the deep end, and and the guy seems like he needs help. But you know, I think there's another interesting angle to think about, which is Kanye is aligned with Donald Trump. They had dinner together last week with Nick Fuentes, and with the Republican Party. And I think the Republican Party has to be shitting themselves right now, like the party leadership. I think they're going, oh my God, everyone is going to think we are all anti-Semites and lunatics. And I don't, I don't know that they all are. I think there is some sort of like country club Republican element that just like casually dislikes Jews. But I think there is a strong element of anti-Semitism in the party. And we've talked about this before. I mean, people, people dislike Jews everywhere, but there are lots of them that have aligned with Trump and the Republican Party. And I, I, we have a very loyal listener of the show who messages me like every hour about anti-Semitism in the Republican Party. And, and he believes, and I, I think he's right, he believes that a lot of Jews were asleep at the switch and they ignored it. They ignored the anti-Semitism. They thought Trump is good for Israel. Jared Kushner is an Orthodox Jew. So therefore, it's all good. But the party also has a lot of lunatics in its base. And I think it is becoming too difficult to remain complacent. I've had other listeners of the show who have written to me and said, I don't think I realized until now how much the Republican Party has aligned with anti-Semitism. And maybe, maybe, maybe Kanye is like the nail in the Trump coffin, right? Trump started with his insistence on, on the big lie, right? The myth of the stolen election. And it continued for two years and there were so many politicians who were afraid to stand up to him. And they were afraid to say, hey, yeah, this is crazy. And, and then, you know, a month ago, there are all of these candidates that Trump supported who didn't win their elections. A couple did, but most did not. 
And then you add in Trump having dinner with Kanye West and Nick Fuentes this week, and it's getting too hard to ignore. I don't think Trump is going to go quietly into the night, but I think they are going to try hard to drop him. Why do people hate Jews so much, though? Like, it's, it's really, it's, it's an odd thing. There aren't that many of us. There's a lot more Muslims and Christians and, like, the Jews, what, what, why do they hate us? And I get there's this whole, like, the Jews control the media narrative. Maybe because, like, there are lots of Jews who are well-educated and in senior positions in corporations, so maybe people, like, resent that. I don't know. It's weird, though. And, and it's, it's, it's stupid. Like, are people just this desperate to hate someone? I, I don't know. I mean, I, look, Kanye is, is, is bad news. Kanye, I did a podcast about this about two months ago. I, I think I was pretty early on this. And the podcast was entitled, Fuck Kanye. And it was about Kanye West and Alex Jones and fuck both of those guys. They're both lunatics. I, 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 I watched as much as I could tolerate of InfoWars with Kanye this week. And, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to watch. Because Alex Jones is a guy who just loves being provocative and saying crazy shit. Remember, he's the one who denied that the, the, the Parkland... Uh, shooting was real and the one in Connecticut and he got sued and he owes like a billion dollars or a trillion dollars or something. And even Alex Jones seemed horrified by what Kanye was saying. He seemed like the most reasonable person in the room. And you could tell he had this look on his face where he was like a little scared and he's like, oh shit, this is getting away from me. So something's going wrong here. And, and Kanye, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what it is. Is he crazy? Is he just mad that his wife divorced him and now he's just got so much anger that he is directing at, at any target he can find? It's like he has this lethal combination of being famous and ignorant and angry and th this ignorance, this stupidity where he thinks he's, he's genius. He thinks that he is well-informed. I don't know. Maybe he's just stupid. Maybe he's just attention-seeking. He went on, on Twitter on, uh, on Thursday night, and he tweeted a picture of a swastika wrapped in a Jewish star. That got him suspended from Twitter. And, and we'll talk about that as well, about Twitter and, and people getting suspended. I, I, I mean, it sucks because, you know, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy is an amazing album. So... Are we not supposed to listen to that anymore? Are we supposed to separate the art from the artist? Like R. Kelly? I, I never liked R. Kelly. Michael Jackson? I, I never really liked his music either. So, I, I mean, I guess he's off the playlist for the bat mitzvah tonight. Right? Can't, can't, can't play him anymore. So let's talk about Twitter, where Kanye West got kicked off of Twitter... For, for posting that picture. Now, my view is you should be allowed to say whatever you want unless it is illegal. If you say something, and say means posting, something that's illegal, 
like, for example, child porn, then it's illegal. Call the police. Now, Twitter has an obligation to take down child porn, a legal obligation to do it. But beyond that, I don't think it is Twitter's place to censor what is said. If, if somebody says something defamatory, file a lawsuit against them. I mean, I think the, the analogy to think about is the phone company. Where if I get on the phone and I, I call somebody and I, we, we make a plot on the phone to, to, to do something illegal, or I say something that is false and defamatory on the phone, AT&T is not on the hook for me saying that. They don't have an obligation to censor what is said. And I think that's the right model for a tech platform such as Twitter. Now, I don't think they have an obligation to boost what I say and to feature it so that people see it, but it can be there. You just have to go seek it out. But I think that we have seen how badly it goes when the social media companies try to censor what people can say. We saw it happen with COVID, where if you tweeted about COVID and COVID vaccines and you said things that turned out to be completely true, if you said that you can get COVID while you have the vaccine, which obviously is true because everyone's gotten it, even those who got the shot five times, if you said that, you were banned from social media and you had the masses breathing down your neck for saying that the vaccines weren't perfectly effective or what. So I don't trust the masses to be deciding what is true and what is not. Here's another example. Two weeks before the presidential election, the New York Post ran an article about Hunter Biden's laptop. Now, I don't know if Hunter Biden's laptop is significant or not. I know there's a lot of amusing shit on there, and I feel bad for the guy. I've said it many times before. I feel bad for the guy. He's an addict, and I'm an addict, and I know what it's like. And, and it cannot be fun for him to have pictures of him smoking crack and videos of him with hookers that are on the internet. I'm sure he's not happy about that. And I'm not even in the camp of like, I'm certain that Hunter Biden is somehow kicking money up to Joe Biden and there's corruption. It's not that. But it's interesting and it's newsworthy. And the New York Post ran an article about it two weeks before the presidential election. And Twitter censored that story. Twitter not only disallowed anyone from sharing that story, they blocked the New York Post. They did everything they could to shut down that story. And now that Elon Musk has taken over at Twitter, he's releasing all of the internal emails about that subject. And I got to tell you, it's pretty embarrassing for Twitter. The story here is not just Hunter Biden's laptop. The story is the cover-up. 
And what that says about social media companies having the right to censor what they don't like, the speech that they disagree with. I don't think Mark Zuckerberg or Elon Musk or Jack Dorsey or, or that, that idiot who was the legal officer at Twitter, I don't think that they have the right to do that. The answer is that speech is acceptable. If you don't like it, say something better. Say something more intelligent. That's the value of the marketplace of ideas. If you don't like what Kanye says, and I don't like what Kanye says, and if you think he's a big fucking idiot, say something else. Silencing him just makes a martyr out of him. You know, there's a famous quote by... Wendell Phillips, and the quote is, he who stifles free discussion secretly doubts whether what he professes to believe is really true. I think that's a great quote. You, you feel the need to suppress Kanye because you can't rebut Kanye. Because you can't do something better. He's not making a profound argument. It's not that hard to out-talk Kanye West. He didn't say something so convincing. Frederick Douglass once said, liberty is meaningless where the right to utter one's own thoughts and opinions has ceased to exist. That of all rights is the dread of tyrants. It's true. That's what they strike down first. The dictatorships in history, the Soviet Union and East Germany and communist China They don't allow free expression. It is suppression of speech. That's what they depend on. The weak depend on that. Dictators depend on that. The first charity that I got really involved with was the New York Public Library. And I am a big believer in the work that they do. I'm a believer in the importance of public libraries. And one of the reasons why I think public libraries are so important is because they allow for the free exchange of ideas. Because if all the books are in the library, then that is a check on the power of government. And one of the themes of this show that we come back to over and over is the importance of checks on government power. Because when the ideas are available, when the knowledge is available, then people aren't able to be manipulated as easily. It makes for an informed populace. It's not perfect, but it makes for an informed populace. And the free exchange of ideas is vital. So if you want to have a podcast and talk about the Jews, sure, go for it. Doesn't sound interesting, but go for it. Now, we got to also talk about FTX because that's, that's, you know, the other huge story that's out there. And we've talked a little bit about FTX before. We did a, a podcast about that and, and wrote about it. But let's do a quick primer in case you missed it. FTX was like a bank for cryptocurrency. So keep that in your mind as we go through this scenario. Okay, so think about a bank. Think about, let's say, 
Citibank or Wells Fargo. You go to the bank, you deposit your money. And the money sits in an account, and you can see on the website, okay, I've got $1,000 in the bank or something. And then the bank can take that money, and they can lend it out. And the amount that they're able to lend out in this country is 90%. So if you deposit $1,000, they have this reserve requirement of 10%. They keep 10% of that on hand, and they can lend out the other 90%. So they got $100 sitting in a vault, and the other $900 they go and lend out. Somebody who wants a mortgage, somebody who wants to buy a new car, start a business. And then the bank collects interest from that loan. They pay you some tiny negligible amount of interest on your deposits. They pay for the branches, the tellers, the regulators, all that stuff. And then they make a profit, whatever's left over. Now, one of the cool things in this country is that if I deposit my money in the bank, the federal government will guarantee up to a certain amount, I think it's $250,000, the federal government guarantees that that money is safe. So if the bank goes and makes some really shitty loans where they don't get paid back, I don't need to worry that I'm going to lose my money. The FDIC guarantees that my money is safe. So I can be comfortable depositing my money at Citibank or Wells Fargo. Now, in exchange for that insurance, the banks have to maintain very strict compliance with a smorgasbord of regulators. They have to keep that certain amount of money on hand. They can only make certain types of loans. And they have regulators who examine everything they do. There are lots of rules for the banks to follow. But in exchange, they get that guarantee. And that guarantee is worth a lot. Sometimes they make good loans, sometimes they make bad loans, but my money is safe. Now, if, if they make a loan, let's say a, a mortgage, right? You go to the bank, you say, I want to buy a, a house. The house is a million dollars. The bank says, okay, fine, you can borrow up to 70% of the value of that house. So they lend you $700,000. You need to come up with the other 300000 to make the down payment. And they lend you that money and they have collateral. The collateral is the house. So if you stop paying the bank, they can foreclose and take the house and then they can go sell it and recoup their money. You get to keep whatever's left over. There won't be anything left over, but they can do that. Now, if you, if you rewind like 15 years to the financial crisis, the banks went a little crazy where they were lending 90% or 100%, sometimes even 110% of the value of the house you were buying. That was crazy. That did not work out well. So anyways, the banks have to keep 10% of the money on hand at the end of the day. So I go to the bank, I deposit $1,000. They go make some loans. Now let's say it's two o'clock in the afternoon and they realize, hey, we need to have $100 in the vault and we only have $90 in the vault. What do we do? Well, they go to other banks and they borrow some money. They say, hey, we need to borrow an extra 10 bucks to hit our reserve requirement. And the other banks lend them money. And the interest rate that one bank pays to the other bank is the Fed funds rate. So when banks are short on their reserves, they borrow money at the Fed funds rate. And so when the Federal Reserve 
has these meetings every six weeks and they raise or lower interest rates. You've been hearing a lot about them raising interest rates lately. What they are doing is controlling through a few steps, but they're controlling the interest rate that banks use to borrow from other banks. What that means is that if that interest rate is higher, then it is going to be more expensive for the banks and they are less likely to lend out money because they don't want to end up at 2 p.m. short on reserves. So they're not going to borrow as much. And if they're, that, if they're worried about borrowing, they won't make as many loans. And if they're not lending out money, it means that it's harder for people to start businesses and buy houses and buy things. That means less commerce. That means that economic activity declines. And that is how the Fed fights inflation, one of the big ways. Now, there's, there's nuances to it. There's details. We could talk about this for hours. But let's come back to FTX. So I mentioned FTX is like a bank for crypto. It's a bank and an exchange, right? So if I, if I want to buy Bitcoin or Ethereum, you go to a firm like FTX or Coinbase or Binance, and they have a website where you can do it. In theory, you can do it without a website. You can buy a, a, a Bitcoin without going through a Coinbase or an FTX. But it's really difficult to do. I mean, I have worked in finance and tech for 20 years. And I'm a reasonably intelligent person. And I cannot, for the life of me, figure out how to buy Bitcoin or Ethereum or any other cryptocurrency without using one of these intermediaries. It's really complicated. Which means that most people are not going to be interested in doing it. You have to be very determined to do it. So you go open an account with a Coinbase or something, and they take that money and they help you buy cryptocurrencies. Just like I could open an account with Charles Schwab and buy shares in Apple or Google or something. Same idea. You have to have one of these intermediaries. And FTX was the biggest or the second biggest in the whole world. They were based in the Bahamas. And they were started by this guy called Sam Bankman Freed, SBF, most people called him. And he had this great pedigree, this great background. He had worked for a very prestigious firm called Jane Street. And then he went to the Bahamas and he started a hedge fund that was speculating on cryptocurrencies. And then he realized there's a lot more value in creating a sort of bank for crypto than the hedge fund. And so he created FTX. The hedge fund was called Alameda, and then he created FTX. But he did it without creating any sort of infrastructure. And there was no regulator, there was no board of directors, there was no one to provide oversight into what he was doing. None. Right? He, he, the, 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 there was no accounting, there was, there was just nothing. If you opened an account with FTX, they would send you paperwork that promised that they would not do anything with the money. It would just sit in your account. But then they turned around and did things with the money. And they didn't keep track of anything. They took all the money that you deposited, they gave it straight to Alameda. In fact, they didn't even need to give it to Alameda. They didn't even have an account for FTX. So if you deposited money, you deposited it directly with Alameda. 
And then they just took it and did whatever they want. They spent it. They, they used it for speculative trading. They bought shares in all kinds of random things. There was no controls whatsoever. Could you imagine if you just went to, to J.P. Morgan Chase and you deposited money in the bank and then Jamie Dimon was like, thanks, this is mine now, and he just started spending it and went to Las Vegas and gambled with it? That's what FTX was doing. And it wasn't like they started out doing it the right way and then they were tempted to do it the wrong way. They never did it the right way to begin with. And we're not talking about a couple of bucks here. We're not even talking about a million dollars. Close to $10 billion was deposited with them and it's all just up and vanished. And when that came out a couple of weeks ago, a lot of people went, hey, what the fuck? $10 billion. It's gone. They didn't keep track of it. They just kept spending it and using it. And then they filed for bankruptcy. And now there's a bankruptcy trustee who's got to figure out what did they do? What did they invest in? What did they, where did they spend the money? $10 billion, not easy to spend, not even easy to lose. So what happens to this guy SBF now? What he did was blatantly fraud. It was fraud because he told people that they wouldn't be investing their money. It was fraud because he completely lied. It was fraud because he had the intent to enrich himself at the expense of FTX customers. He's not a stupid guy. He didn't do this by accident. And this week, this past week, SBF was interviewed at the Deal Book Conference. Andrew Ross Sorkin interviewed him. It was a good interview. You should watch it. The video is available. You should watch it. He's done a couple interviews this week. He did one with George Stephanopoulos. He did the one with Andrew Ross Sorkin. Now, I got to wonder, what the fuck is he thinking? Why is this guy giving interviews? Why isn't he in prison? Andrew Ross Sorkin asked him, he said, what do your lawyers think about you doing all this? And he said, yeah, they don't like it. I'm not even sure who his lawyers are right now. He, he had hired a few very high-profile lawyers. They all dropped him. I don't know if, if it's because he can't afford to pay them or what. I mean, the kind of lawyers that he needs are going to be 100 grand a, a week. And he told Andrew Ross Sorkin that he has $100,000 left to his name. That's crazy. Just a couple of months ago, Forbes was saying that this guy had $30 billion. What's going to happen to him? I mean, Bernie Madoff got a sentence of 150 years in prison. He stole $9 billion. I mean, he didn't steal all of it. He just ran a Ponzi scheme. This wasn't much different. So is this guy going to get 150 years in prison? I mean, maybe he's giving these interviews. I, someone said to me this week, maybe he's giving these interviews because he's just going to kill himself. So he doesn't care. He's not going to face the consequences. He's just going to kill himself because he's 30 years old. Maybe he's just going to kill himself. I don't know. He's, he's in the Bahamas and he is wandering around and he's a free man. This is a simple fraud on a major scale, but it is a simple fraud. And I, I don't know why he hasn't been arrested yet. It's wild to me.
Maybe he's going to kill himself. I who who's who is more likely to be alive at the end of 2023, Kanye West or Sam Bankman-Fried? What do we think is the the market on that? Who's more likely to be alive? Look, I I, I get where this guy SBF is right now. I I like probably more than just about anyone else out there. I can relate to what he is going through. I went through something in many ways very similar. I didn't commit blatant fraud, but I understand what it is like to face these margin issues with a hedge fund, to see it, the value get wiped out because of leverage. I know exactly what that's like. And, and, and I feel bad for him, but he also committed fraud and he should go to prison. The Vietnamese have more or less cornered the market on smoothies in New York City. They have this great business with those little carts. They buy fruit that's a couple days old. Maybe it's slightly bruised. But when you put it in a blender, no one can tell. So they buy a banana and an apple for a few pennies. They blend it, and then they sell it for 8 bucks. And that is a great business. Remember, like drinking smoothies used to be considered like something that only fancy people do. Like you'd be the butt of jokes because you wanted some blended fruit on the go. Well, no more. The solution is Blend Jet 2. It's a portable blender that allows you to make smoothies at work, a protein shake at the gym, even at the beach. What? Blending at the beach? What is what is this? A blender at the gym? What? Anyways, Blend Jet 2 is small enough to fit in a cup holder but powerful enough to blast through ice and frozen fruit with ease. BlendJet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. It lasts for 15-plus blends and recharges quickly via USB-C. Best of all, BlendJet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap and you're good to go. With over 30-plus colors and patterns to choose from, there's a BlendJet 2 to complement just about any style. I rock the urban camo print because I'm a certified badass. What are you waiting for? Go to blendjet.com and grab yours today. And be sure to use the promo code THELEESHOW12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. That's THELEESHOW and the number's 1-2 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. I went to the dentist this week. I've talked about the dentist before. I think dentists in general are pretty overrated uh, for two reasons. Number one, because they put fluoride in municipal tap water. They've been doing that since the late 70s, early 80s. And because of that, the fluoride makes the enamel on your teeth stronger, so you are less likely to get cavities. It's remarkably effective. It's got to be one of the great public health interventions in the history of the world. And it, it, it helps a lot if, as a mother, you drink tap water with fluoride when you're pregnant, you use toothpaste with fluoride, brush twice a day. That's the other reason people don't really get cavities anymore, because they brush their teeth because they're not fucking rednecks. People don't dip as much anymore. They don't smoke meth as... Well, maybe they smoke meth. They don't smoke as much anymore. So if you take care of yourself, you brush and you floss, you're going to have better teeth, cleaner teeth. You won't get gum disease quite as much. 
And there's, there's a lot of dentists in the world. There's oversupply of dentists in this country. And, and the reason is that being a dentist used to be this amazing job. If you were a dentist, you, had, you, you knew that in, in a certain radius, a certain number of miles, everybody would come to you six, every six months or nine months or whatever, and you'd do these cleanings, and people would get cavities, you'd fill them, you'd do crowns, you'd do all that kind of stuff. It was a very stable job. And people went to dental school because it was such a great job. But the problem is now we have too many dentists, not enough cavities to fill. So they got to make money in some other way. One of those is cosmetic. They whiten your teeth or scrub them extra special or something, fine. But the other way that they make money, the other big money maker, and it's the one that, that at some point we're going to regret it. And I want you to remember where you heard this first. The other big money maker for the dentist is x-rays. Every time you go to the dentist, they're like, we got to do the x-rays, full set of x-rays. You know why they're saying that? Because they get a fortune from the insurance company for doing those x-rays. And they always, every dentist and hygienist, they all use the same line. They must teach them this line in dental school. Whenever you say, do I really need that? They say, ah, it's not dangerous. It's the same amount of radiation you'd get flying on a plane. But you know what? When you fly on a plane, you don't have a radiation gun concentrated in your head. Radiation is bad for you, and it is cumulative. You don't need dental x-rays. The next time you go to the dentist and they try to pressure you, just say no. Just say no. That's it. Well, I went to the dentist this past week. I did not get x-rays, but I went to the dentist this past week. And I was, I was a little nervous because the last time I went to the dentist, I had this, this sort of incident because I had eaten a bunch of pistachios before I went to the dentist. And I had all this like nut meat, like all the pistachio bits stuck in my teeth. And so I was nervous that the, the dentist would think that I walk around with like chunks of food stuck in my teeth. So I started over-explaining myself. First, I walked in and I see the receptionist and I'm like, you know, hi, Lee Bressler, I'm here for my appointment. And, and by the way, I have pistachios in my teeth and it's just because I ate them, but I don't normally have them. And the hygienist is like, okay, sure, whatever. Like, tell, tell, tell the hygienist. I mean, the receptionist told, told me to tell the hygienist. And then someone came to get me from the waiting room and they bring me back and I start immediately explaining about the pistachios in my teeth. And that woman is like, yeah, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, talk to the hygienist. I wasn't even the hygienist. I was like, you know, overwhelmed. And I'm, I'm so nervous and embarrassed and acting really weird. And then the hygienist came in and I explained it again. And everyone thought I was a fucking lunatic. I think, I mean, in my head, I think they all thought I was crazy. And I swore I wasn't going to recreate that scene. But then, of course, like an hour before the appointment, I ate a piece of toast with some scrambled eggs on it. And the toast had like a dark crust and I got bits in my teeth. So, I, I, I mean, I was like a mess. Now, I quit vaping a while ago. I quit, I quit vaping when I ran out of Juul mango pods. I quit smoking many years ago. I smoked for a long time. I smoked for, for on and off for years. And I, I quit smoking, and I started vaping a long time ago. I used the, the Juul mango pods. I thought it would be healthier. And I think it probably is healthier than smoking. But they stopped making the Juul mango pods. And then 
uh, I switched to the Jewel Fruit Punch pods. That was the only ones I could get my hands on. And there's something about those Fruit Punch ones. I used them for like a week and it like scalded the roof of my mouth. And now the roof of my mouth has this weird texture. It's like sandpaper or something. And it hasn't gone away. It's been a long time and it hasn't gone away. So I went to the dentist and I, I told her about this, the, this thing in the roof of my mouth. And she immediately looked and she said, oh, have you been smoking or vaping? And I said, how did you know? She said, well, I've seen it before where you get this change in the texture of your gums. And hopefully it'll heal. I don't see any sign of anything more serious, thank God. But like, don't vape. And I was like, okay, I won't. So uh, there's a good lesson there. Treat your mouth well. Don't vape. I wrote a lot this past week about the protests in China, and it is just wild to uh, to watch this. Now, for, for background, you need to understand how China has approached COVID and how that compares to the rest of the world. I, I think it's an interesting contrast, especially because, you know, China unleashed COVID on us three, three years ago. But the, the approach is very different. In America, we had these lockdowns in 2020, and then we sort of, you know, progressively lifted those lockdowns and the restrictions as people got vaccinated. And But still, a lot of people died with COVID. I don't say died from COVID. I think a lot of those people who died had other illnesses, but they got COVID and they died. Almost 1.1 million people died with COVID in America. That's a lot of people. Now, some folks came out of COVID looking smart and sensible. Others came out of COVID looking bad and self-interested. Here's looking at you, teachers' unions. China has been totally different, though. The Chinese approach has been a policy called zero COVID, dynamic zero COVID. In China... Almost everyone takes a COVID test every day. And you have to log the results in an app that's managed by the government. And that app shows you the color green if you have a negative test. Without a green in your app, you can't do anything. Transit, commerce, going to the workplace, you can't do anything unless you have a green. And when there's even one case of COVID entire apartment buildings and office buildings, neighborhoods, even large cities like Beijing and Shanghai are locked down. Cities of millions of people are subject to brutally strict lockdowns where people are stuck in their apartments for weeks, going hungry. Sometimes they get food delivered. There's guys in hazmat suits walking around spraying entire neighborhoods with disinfectant as if that makes one fucking bit of difference. There is no dissent tolerated. But here's the interesting contrast. China has had 5,233 deaths with COVID. That means the U.S. has had 208 times more deaths. And China has four times the population. Even if you think China is undercounting the numbers, double it, it's still a massive difference. Now, I don't think the Chinese approach is the right one. And we can talk about why 
China has done this. Maybe they care about protecting the people and think this is the best way to do it. Maybe. That's like the benevolent explanation. Another explanation is that the Communist Party that rules China just wants to appear competent. And they think that the way to do it is to have fewer COVID deaths. Never mind that they look incompetent for releasing COVID in the first place. But also the Chinese government has refused to use Western vaccines. There's no Pfizer, there's no Moderna, there's no mRNA vaccines. They made their own Chinese vaccine, and it is not very effective. It's basically sugar water. And so there's this fear in China that if they lift the lockdowns, everyone's going to die because they really don't have much healthcare capacity in China. Here's an interesting contrast. The U.S. has seven and a half times more ICU beds per capita than China. And China has these big, dense cities. The virus will spread quickly there. And people in China are sick of the the lockdowns. They're sick of being repressed. And this week, they started to protest. Now, this is the first major protest in China in over 30 years. The last one was Tiananmen Square in 1989. And when that happened, the government killed thousands of people. You can't even mention the Tiananmen Square protests in China. That's censorship. You cannot mention them. It gets scrubbed from people's phones. Those protests took place on June 4th, 1989. And if you even reference that date on social media, you are getting sent straight to prison. Even if you try tricks, like people will will write about May 35th or April 65th, it doesn't work. The censors catch on very quickly and everything in China is controlled. It is a totalitarian and authoritarian regime that cannot stomach free speech. They cannot stomach dissent because they don't have a clear and credible mandate. And there are wild videos of the protests in China that have gotten out. I I included some in the Substack, and you really should watch them. Videos of government workers in hazmat suits beating people with batons. And by the way, if you have one of those videos on your phone, your phone will automatically delete it. If you have a Huawei phone, your phone will automatically delete those videos. Remember, Huawei is a Chinese networking company. And Donald Trump led a large global effort to have Huawei banned from global cell phone networks. That was a good idea. Because Huawei is an arm of the Chinese government. Now, the last time there were protests in China, in Tian- after Tiananmen Square, the leader was Deng Xiaoping, and he pulled off a nifty trick. He liberalized the economy. And the ensuing growth in living standards was so rapid that people tolerated the Communist Party. It was like a grand bargain. They said, we'll make you rich, but you give up control. You give up freedom. And, and GDP per capita increased 10, 10x in that period of time. Under the policies that were started under Deng and continued under Jiang Zemin and Hu Jintao. But the current leader of China is Xi Jinping. He's been the boss for 10 years, and he just got appointed for another five-year terms. Forget about term limits. And under him, repression 
has increased. The Chinese economy is a mess, and he's doing this zero COVID thing. He doesn't have the ability to pull the same trick that his predecessors did. They're not going to get 10x growth from here. And the people in China are sick of it. They are upset. They are watching the World Cup on TV, and they see tens of thousands of fans packed shoulder to shoulder with nary a mask in sight, and they know, hey, there's a different approach. Bummer about the U.S., by the way, losing, uh, losing against the Netherlands. And they are upset, and they are protesting in China now. And the government is trying to control the narrative. It's trying to prevent that information from spreading. And it's hard, it's hard to, to penetrate that with, with, with better information. Right, the way we created like Radio Free Europe to bombard East Germany with news and information. Can't do that here. It's hard. The last time we saw a major protest against COVID lockdowns, it was the, the truckers in Canada. And they were blasted in the press and talked about like they were criminals because they seemed to code right wing. They were banned from the financial system. And Justin Trudeau, the, the idiotic prime minister of Canada who loves wearing blackface for Halloween, he talked about how dangerous these people were. But now in China, you have a group protesting against an authoritarian government and COVID lockdowns. And I guarantee you the hypocritical morons on social media are going to be supportive of these protesters. Now, don't get me wrong. I support the protesters in China, but I also supported those truckers at the Canadian border because I'm not a fucking hypocrite. This is what Tyler Cowen calls mood affiliation, and he's right. And just as I didn't believe in lockdowns here, I don't believe in lockdowns there, but I don't know what's going to happen in China now. I don't think there's going to be some huge dramatic change. Maybe they'll start changing the COVID policy and scrubbing the COVID policy, less testing, fewer lockdowns, maybe. That's all for now, folks. It's been, uh, been an exciting week, lots of news, and uh, glad I could be here to talk through it with you. Enjoy watching the World Cup. Check us out on Substack and on Twitter. And we will be back with more soon.